the rest of grace. I'd like to begin with a scripture reading from John chapter 5. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethsaida with five covered porches, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew how long he'd been ill, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I am to get, how am I, get, how am I to get there? Someone else always gets in ahead of me. And Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your sleeping mat and walk. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up the mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath day. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. It's illegal to carry that sleeping mat. And he replied, the man who healed me said, pick up your sleeping mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him this, now you are well. So, listen carefully, stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. These are Jesus' words. The man went to find the Jewish leaders and told them it was Jesus who had healed him. Yes, God accepts us. I love what Kevin said. He accepts us. He does not see or condemn us for the things that we do wrong. But when we recognize who we are in Christ, stop doing those things because it's those things that will punish you and have horrific consequences. Behavior does matter. It reflects what you believe. Does that make sense? This is about the rest of grace. You know identity now. You know Christ is in you. How does that look day to day? And that's why I'm doing this series. I want to be more and more practical. And by the way, a few of you have emailed me and made my week. Really, I, I needed to hear what you said. That was like so cool because it's not a pattern here. So it was really good. It was really nice. And it spoke to me right when I needed it. Because sometimes I can get up off the stage and it's like, crap, went all over the place. Like, it just happens. Not that I ever do that, but you know what I mean. How do we fulfill and unleash God's best in our lives? And today we're going to continue in talking about accepting and appropriating good news. It comes from this verse. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. I really doubt I can get through all that today. I'll tell you why. Because we're going to deal with this subject. In this next video clip, I think it's this one. Yep, I'm going to go back. Hang on. In this next video clip, I want you to hear the story of a young girl and her attitude of how when she had affliction hit her, 
how she managed. You'll love the story. I like it. It's a longer video, so you don't have to say, that was long. I know it's long. I'm telling you. It's a great clip. All right? Let's, lights out, roll video. Can't is not part of your vocabulary. If you just put your mind to it, you can do it. And you believe that? Yeah. That, that's the crazy thing is if you're never given limits, then you think, I can do anything. And if she could do anything, she wanted it to be this. What she saw her hero, Dominique Mociano, doing on TV. There was just one problem. Jennifer was born without legs. A devastating birth defect that had led her natural parents to abandon her the day she was born. It bothered me to think that there was a little girl that was left at the hospital and she had no legs so I thought she needed a family that would love her and take care of her. Sharon and her husband Gerald brought her home to the tiny town of Hardinville, Illinois. Population 50, they say, if you count the dogs and cats. They decided to raise her like they raised their three healthy sons, with no limitations and just one simple rule. Never say the word... Can't. You said, I want to be a tumbler. <laughs> you didn't have legs. Right. You kind of need those, most people think, to, to tumble. <laughs> well, think again. The girl who wasn't allowed to say can't was on her way to becoming a genuine gymnastics champion. She started at seven on the trampoline with her dad. And after a few falls, she got the hang of it. In time, she was competing. And soon after that, she was dominating. And by high school, Jennifer Bricker, are you ready for this? was the tumbling champion of the state of Illinois. Soon, Jennifer was pursuing other sports too. Even one, you'd figure, she had absolutely no chance to play well. Until it turned out, she could steal the ball, even grab a few rebounds. And she could make baskets too. She didn't consider herself handicapped. She was talking to some friends one time and uh, one of them said something about her being handicapped. She said, well, I'm not handicapped. And they said, well, you have to use a wheelchair. She said, just to keep them getting dirty. <laughs> One day at age 16, out of curiosity, Jennifer asked her mother a question. Hey, is there anything that you, like, know about my adoption or biological family that you didn't tell me? I said, okay, but you got to sit down. And she said, Mom, I'm always sitting. And she said, maybe you should sit down. I said, okay, let me sit down. And she said, well, what's the big deal? Just tell me what my last name is. And I said, well, that's the big deal. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, your last name would have been Mochianu. I knew what that meant. I knew that Dominique Mochianu was my biological sister. When she finally tracked Dominique down, Jennifer wrote her a letter. Inside the envelope were adoption papers, a photograph, and a stunning piece of news. My biological last name is Mochiano. That, that line, I, I was just like, I can't believe this is happening. Everything was there. The evidence was there. Jennifer looked like the spitting image of my youngest sister, Christina. What a moment to, for anyone to even speak to their childhood idol, but for their childhood idol to be their sister, that's something. She told me she was an athlete in the letter. In fact, I was her inspiration to start tumbling and doing gymnastics. And then on the phone call, she goes, oh, by the way, I have no legs. I mean, she's like, wait a minute, 
didn't you just tell me that you're an acrobat and you did all these sports and I could just hear the wheels turning and you know and I said who is this girl oh my god how did she have this attitude to persevere in life and overcome every obstacle and she's my sister The story goes on that uh, she has moved to Hollywood and lives a normal life, has a special car, and um, she does a job full-time tumbling and all that stuff and special dance. But the other part of the story I didn't have time for because lots of videos that are online for this. They dealt with the issue of forgiveness because parents were suddenly confronted. And when the, the gold medalist confronted her parents, her first reaction was anger. Why didn't you tell me? How could you not? What, what about me? Don't you trust that I can handle this? And so finding out that the, the, the father um, never met his other daughter. He died in 2008 of cancer and was never able to meet her. But the, uh, the, the daughter that he did know about forgave him and made things right before he passed away. It was huge, and there was an abusive relationship with the mom, so there was lots of turmoil in there. But the story of ad, uh, adversary things happening to you, like uh, garbage happening that you did not see coming, you know, how would you like to be dumped off and given away? Because, and again, they said it was a medical issue and they couldn't afford it, but I think they were just too scared. From all the interviews I saw, it was all about fear. Fear paralyzes everybody. Fear stops you from moving ahead. And this little girl was put into the environment of grace and love and acceptance, and she excelled. You saw, that was wild. Like, I watched that so many times. She was trying to, holy smokes, what have we got to complain about? Really? Teenagers, listen carefully. There's no excuse. No more complaining. <laughs> My life sucks. No, it doesn't. Your, circumsta your circumstances might be hard. They really might be but you're not alone. We just finished reading the story of a man who was healed by Jesus. Jesus went to a place called the Pool of Bethsaida. It means house of mercy. Jesus went there. They didn't have to go to him. Think this through. There's, there's some meaning here. Jesus went to the house of mercy and he showed mercy. He comes to us. We don't have to pursue him. I found God. <laughs> Nobody finds God. That's an impossibility. He finds them and reveals them, himself to them, and they wake up to it and go, oh, but it feels like they found God. They've been searching for something they know that's already there, a voice that's already calling them. Funny how that works. Here comes Jesus to one man. We just finished reading. The whole place is filled with lame, sick people. Filled. What does Jesus do? One guy. Can't you just do the, like a Harry Potter wand and boom and everybody's healed? Wouldn't that be like a wild party? Yeah, it'd be awesome. But he didn't. He went up to one man. said, stand. Actually, he asked him a question. Do you want to be healed? <laughs> That's a big question. Do you want to? Some of us, we have lost dreams. We think our lives 
are over because of circumstances that have happened to us and we've set aside any hopes for pursuing some of the things we really want to do. But is it too late? Do you still want those dreams? I'm not here to talk about dream making and ooh, because you conceived it, it's a dream and you want to live your dream. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the dream God put into you. And that you may not know what the difference is. That is something you have to figure out. Because just because you want to do something doesn't mean it's the dream he has for you. But we already covered this earlier in the sessions that the dream he has put into you, he is guiding you towards. There's a consistency. There's something you're good at. There's a hunger. What would you do if Jesus came up to you today and said, get up and do it? (laughs) Do you want to be well, he asks the man. You need to ask yourselves, Same thing, I need to ask myself. Do we want to be well? Listen carefully to these statements. Some people don't. Actually, a lot of people don't want to be well. They'll say they do, but deep inside they don't because it means that they'll have all of their excuses taken away. They can't whine anymore. No more pity parties. No more attention. (laughs) Ha ha. They wouldn't be able to blame their circumstances anymore. Deflect, deflect, deflect. They won't be able to uh, um, say other people that's their fault. Blame other people. They did it to me. They did it to me. Look what they did. They did. They did. They did. <laughs> we see that in marriages. A lot of marriages that have crumbled, it's all about finger pointing. They, they, they did it. They did it. And it's like a vicious cycle. No. Own your own stuff. Take responsibility for your own. To be well, they would have to assume, listen, full responsibility for rising up and stepping out in faith. And it would be them and Jesus. Period. That's all that's left standing in the room when you stop making excuses, when you answer, yes, I want to be well. The man in the story sidetracked. When Jesus asked him, do you want to be well, he never answered the question. He did what everybody else here would do typically, but run right to the excuses why we can't. All the reasons laid out on why we can't be well never even answered the question. And yet Jesus heard the answer in his heart, I believe. They really did want to be well. He told him, get up and walk. No more excuses. You can be well. Because Jesus came to bring good news to the afflicted. Good news, the day of the Lord. If you believe in your Heavenly Father's goodness, as we sang about many times today, if you believe in His goodness and His desire to lead you into an abundant lifestyle, your life can change. This is about your belief right now. If you believe you have nothing good coming, then you will live out that lie. It's your problem. Stop it. Let truth come in. Jesus has made you good. He's given you a future and a hope. All the obstacles between you and he, done. He's got it. Stop looking at why you can't. Look at the one who's done it all already. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. 
you lack nothing. Every single one of you is fully equipped, fully gifted, fully inspired to do the things God wants you to do. You lack nothing. Now, develop those gifts. They're not perfected. I see giftedness in a lot of people. But they have to be fine-tuned. They have to be developed and practiced. You got to play it out, practice it out. And how better to do it but in the community of grace where you're allowed to mess up. Oh, I got that wrong. Oh, no problem. Keep going. We see the gift too. Oh, his name's Jesus. You've been given everything. You lack nothing. You may be weak. That's great. We just covered that last week. He wants us to become weaker so that we're not self-sufficient in any kind of self-strength. Oh, I'm going to be stronger for the Lord. No, you're supposed to be weaker for him. So his strength abounds in your weakness. So he gets all the credit. And when you walk humbly like that, you can look back and go, wow, all credit to Jesus. Holy smokes. I just have to look back at my own life and realize there's no way I should be doing what I'm doing. Not at all. And yet, every opportunity that comes, this, this is a God journey. I have to give him credit. I can't take it. And sometimes I want to, but I can't. The good news to the afflicted, the weak, is this. God can't resist somebody like you. He rushes towards weakness. Where you feel ineffective, he rushes towards you. He makes known to you, you've got it. Will you listen to the voice from him? Because he is speaking to you right now. You can start to go, blah, 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 and, and say, and not try and listen to it, but he's still going to speak through your blah, blah, blah. His voice is gentle. It is good. Never condemning. Always loving. Always accepting. Because he knows when you actually believe that accepting, loving voice, your life and behaviors will change. It's good news. All that you need is already in you. Christ in you. That was the end of last week's message now. <laughs> now into this week. <laughs> God plans to heal the brokenhearted. God plans to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And I think everybody in this room knows somebody who is brokenhearted. Jesus came for them, especially if you are brokenhearted. He came for you. He's come to give you encouragement today. The word afflicted carries the idea of being worn down. Life's been beaten on you. The word brokenhearted points to somebody who's just wiped out. It carries a connotation of being crushed violently. The brokenhearted are those who have been slammed by circumstances in life which has left them debilitated. They've been knocked down. They can't get back up. Jesus came to help the brokenhearted back up, and he's going to use you to do it. He uses people. He uses people. Just like Kevin was saying, most people have an idea that when you know somebody has mental health issues, you distance yourself. You keep a very safe distance. They're allowed only. They're no longer allowed in the inner circle. They're allowed in the outer one because that's safe. I don't have to get to know them. No. There are some people we need to speak into their lives. Not everybody. You can't do that. Let God take care of it. He'll give you a burden for somebody. It can't be dictated. It has to be received by Christ. He'll tell you. Let's not be afraid of those who need 
the grace you have. Well, how can we mend a broken heart? How? A broken heart will incapacitate you and paralyze you, preventing you from reaching God's best in your life if you don't properly respond to the hurt that has come into your life. We need to learn how to respond to the hurt. Proverbs 18, 14 says, the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear? The implication here is that we can't bear. <laughs> we have to move past it. He's not asking you to take the burden and pick it up and bear it. He's never called you to do that. Put it back down. Let Jesus bear it. He came to take care of it. When it's circumstances that broke your heart, what do you do? What do you do when circumstances do? Jesus said that in the world you will have tribulation. <laughs> there is trouble. Sorry. When you have a baby, that child will grow up to have trouble. All you adults know it's true. Because <laughs> you've all experienced pain at some point in your life or are in it and will. It's the way our world is. But we don't live by that motto of fear of pain. It's not how we're called to live. We're called to live by spirit. We can't determine what's going to happen in our lives, but we can determine how we're going to respond to it. Three rules for getting beyond the assault of painful events in our lives. Here they are. Realize that God is in control of everything. You're not. Number two, remember that God loves you. I think that one's going to be hard for people. Because when you don't even love yourself, how can you believe God would love you? But perhaps if you began to believe God loves you, that'll melt the lie in your own heart that you're unlovable. You are loved. Period. God sent his one and only son because he loved the world. The word is cosmos. Whole world. You are loved. Lastly, rule number three. When in doubt, refer to rules number one and two. You can question, why is this happening to me? And I deal with that at funerals all the time. Why did this happen? Or when somebody's really up against the wall with a big problem. Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? Sometimes because your stupid mistakes. Your sin is punishing you for it, but you're not alone in it. In spite of your bad mistakes, you're still loved. You're valued and accepted. You can question God, but believe he loves you passionately. <laughs> we don't need to understand what's happening. God's not called you to understand your circumstances or your problems. We think in the vending machine mentality today that if there's a problem, God needs to answer it. God, why aren't you answering my question? Some guys didn't hear from God for 40 years in the Bible. And there's a whole ton of people in the Bible that never heard from him at all because he only spoke to key leaders. It's weird. Who's to say? You don't have the right to understand. You've given up all your rights to be in control because it's a control-free question. Why, 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 why? I want to know. How about you surrender to Jesus and say, I don't get it, but I do believe you love me. That's good enough for me today because I cannot figure this out. There's a lot of people struggling. 
We must stop judging God by human standards. Life is unfair, but God stands above all life. We cannot evaluate him in terms of fairness. He is sovereign and knows what he's doing. You'll never completely understand him, so your only choice is to cling to him. Cling to him. How can you mend a broken heart? You can't. God can. Practice the faith you claim to have and confess, which means to agree with God and acknowledge that God is involved in every detail of your life and he loves you passionately. It's amazing what can happen to somebody when they believe God loves them. But I don't feel he loves me. Ever have that? Your feelings are not the determiners of truth. Your feelings determine what you believe. And if at that moment you don't believe, you don't feel loved. Sometimes we have to speak truth through our feelings. Isn't it hypocritical for me to profess something to be true that I don't feel is true? Is that a good question? Yeah. Absolutely not. Because when we confess what is true, okay, like there are a lot of people who will say, let's use the forgiveness thing for a moment. I don't feel like saying sorry because I, I don't like them. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I choose not to forgive them. I got a problem. So in your feelings, you got a problem. But the real you, your identity in Christ is hardwired to forgive. And so when you move past your emotions and choose to forgive, which we're going to talk later, and probably has to be next week now, we are not being a hypocrite. We're doing exactly we're being the person who we are. When we're not forgiving, that's hypocrisy. We've got to redefine the word. It doesn't mean what you think it means. As the, remember in, um, I think it's in uh, Prince's Bride. I don't think you, the, mean, the word you mean is the meaning that you think it means. Anyway, something like that. Anyway, you know what you've seen, I mean. All right. If you are a believer, you are to act in a way that is consistent with who you are. If you are a believer, you're to act in a consistent way with who you really are. And if you don't know who you really are, you're going to act just like that. You are always acting like the person you believe you are, and you always act in accordance with how you believe about God. Everybody acts according to their beliefs. What do you believe and who do you believe? It's in your nature as a believer to believe in God. It's contrary to the contrary, instead of acting that kind of a way that you don't feel like it, you actually have to act in faith and speak out in faith. Father, my feelings are all messed up right now. I already know who you are. You're good. And maybe I don't understand a whole lot of stuff, but I, right now I'm so fed up, so stressed out, I just give this to you. I do believe you. I believe you love me. Please let it go true in and through my feelings too. Let my brain begin to believe this because I'm having a really hard time. Those prayers are awesome. Jesus runs to those. He confirms. He's a good God. What about when a person broke your heart? Let's consider Joseph in Genesis 50. He'd been sold into slavery by his brothers. He began as a son, a special son, because the dad set up his son for failure, but it was the way the story went, and became proud had the robe of many colors, blah, blah, blah. You know that part. So he was a son. Then he got thrown into a pit. They were going to kill him. The oldest brother saved him, sold him as a slave. 
Then he got sold into slavery. He got sold to a guy named Potiphar. Well, then he got set up for a crime he didn't do. Sleeping with Potiphar's wife. Went to jail. Did serious time. Helped the guys out in the jail. God blessed him each time. Every time God showed favor on him. He told some dreams, interpreted them. Isn't that cool? Later on, he eventually gets out, becomes a ruler in Egypt, second to the Pharaoh. That's a pretty big jump. Okay? Prime Minister. And now, here comes the day he's facing the guys that did it to him. When somebody does it to you, here now he faces them. I'm going to guess it's 20, 30 years later. Guessing, just guessing. I don't know. Just for argument's sake. I should go back and do the math, but it doesn't matter. He's now facing his brothers who were the cause of all of his problems. Do you know anybody like that? It's their fault. Over those 20 years, whatever, how many years it was, God had been doing a work in his heart. And it wasn't until 20 years later that he was ready to handle facing. If he met them too soon, he may not have reacted the same way. It's possible. Don't rush the process. Don't hurry it. So they find out who he is, and their boots were a-shaking. They were freaking out. We're dead. That was good. And here's what he says. Do not be afraid. That sentence right there is a wake-up call for all of us. Do not be afraid. Because when our circumstances hit us, the very first thing we do is become fearful. Oh no, what's going to happen? What about this? What about that? What about the mortgage? What about the car? What about the kids? What about that? And what? Fear, 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 fear. Fear. That will paralyze you. That's why he says, do not be afraid. For I am in God's place. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about his present result to preserve many people alive. You meant to hurt me, but God used it to save so many people. Can you imagine the positive attitude? It's like that. That's what reminded me of that girl. Giving a raw deal and wah! Attitude matters. If you're going to experience God's best in your life and see your dreams realized, you must forgive those who have hurt you. Simple, but not easy. Forgiveness is simple, but not easy. I've done a whole series on this, so I'm not going to get into the whole series, but I want to give you a couple pointers here. Some of you will never fulfill God's best in your life because you're holding on to an offense that somebody has committed against you in the past and you won't forgive them. And because you won't forgive them, you're going to come to a standstill. You may not be able to move any further until you do. This is huge. Unforgiveness is brutal. Forgiveness is the deliberate choice to release a person from any obligation they have towards you as a result of any offense they've committed against you. Unforgiveness is like a cancer that slowly eats away at you. It's probably one of the most toxic things in the Christian church. 
unforgiveness. And usually, it doesn't hurt your offender that you haven't forgiven them. It hurts you. You're the only one suffering. Comedian Buddy Hackett once said, I've had few arguments with people, but I never carry a grudge. You know why? While, carrying a grudge, while you're carrying a grudge, they're out dancing. <laughs> Ever do that driving? You're all mad at the person in front. They have no clue they did anything wrong. <gasps> the people picked the song. <laughs> like, it's stupid. Forgiveness is critical. To refuse to forgive is to allow the hurt which was done to you to continue to control you and debilitate you. The other person goes right on with their life, but you're stuck in a sentence in a prison of which you're the only prisoner. That's a big prison. Is there someone you need to forgive today? Let the Holy Spirit point that out to you. C.S. Lewis says, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. <laughs> it's true. Well, how do you practice forgiveness? First answer, it is a choice. It's not a feeling. I promise you, it is not a feeling. It's a choice. You don't forgive people because you feel like it. Forgiveness doesn't come from the emotions, but from the will. To say you can't forgive somebody is to believe a lie. You actually can forgive anybody. God has given you the power to do that. He has already empowered you to do that. Go back and listen to the series on forgiveness if you've not heard it. It's a critical one. Because there's a lot of lies about forgiveness that are dealt with in that. But the choice to forgive, it's a choice you make. I choose to forgive. And then you get to deal with the repercussions afterwards. And not until you forgive can you deal with confrontation or anything else that may have to happen or may not have to happen. But forgiveness is between you and your father. That is where forgiveness is. Nowhere else. You may end up talking to the person and telling them face to face. You may not. That's irrelevant. Hmm. What is our reason for forgiving? It's because we have been forgiven. The truth is that we've all sinned. And if God has forgiven us, we can forgive others. The Apostle Paul wrote this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. We can forgive because we've been forgiven. And you can say, yeah, but they don't deserve to be forgiven. Of course they don't. Forgiveness is an act of grace. If they deserved it, it wouldn't be forgiveness. It'd be justice. <laughs> but they aren't sorry for what they did. So what? They don't have to be sorry for us to forgive them. Forgiveness initiates with our choice, not the other person's regret for their actions. But I don't want them in my life. Listen carefully. There are people who have hurt us. We don't want them in our life, right? I'm going to read this because I don't want to get this wrong. Don't mistakenly think that just because you forgive someone, you must now make them your best friend. To truly forgive and yet decide that that relationship doesn't need to continue are two decisions that can be totally compatible with each other. Now I'll tell you again, go back and watch the forgiveness series because I deal with that there heavily. All right? There are many excuses we can give for refusing to forgive, but there's no good reason. 
Ask the Holy Spirit to show you if you hold unforgiveness in your heart towards anybody. And if you do, forgive them. It is the key to freedom. It's the key to experiencing him. I've met many who've regretted that they've allowed bitterness to effectively destroy them, especially when I sit down with funeral families. It's too late now. They never got their thing right. But never have I met anybody who said they were sorry that they chose to forgive. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. Don't wait. Don't discount the importance of forgiving yourself. Maybe you've done something to yourself that, because you don't like yourself. Forgive yourself. That's, probably the, that's a big, tough one. If God has forgiven you and you can't forgive yourself, think of how stupid that sounds. That your standard is higher, higher than God's? Really? He has forgiven you. Now, to receive it, you may have to heal some shame. And he can do that. It's beautiful. The good news is for the brokenhearted. You can be set free from the effects of hurts people have brought upon you by forgiving them. And next week, we're going to talk about captives, prisoners, more good news next week on this. I, I, there's no way I can finish it. It's already late. But ask the Holy Spirit. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Ask him. Search my heart and know. What is holding me back? My unbelief? Do I believe you? Do I not believe you? Do I have I, is there somebody I need to forgive? Show me because you're developing me, Father. I want to grow more and more in my understanding of your amazing love and grace towards me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, please gently and softly speak to our hearts. May it be a voice of acceptance. May we not hear it as condemnation. Reveal to us your profound love and acceptance. May it melt the shame in people's hearts. May it melt the unforgiveness that could be sitting there. May it melt all the disbelief so we come to know you in deeper intimacy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.